I've got three or four messages on my mind. I've been praying all week. God, what do you want me to preach? See, like the Lord just gives me messages more than I can get preached. But this is what the Lord has given me to preach today. And uh, I want you to pray while I'm preaching. How many would pray? How many, by the way, how many will go back there and find a stack and you'll pray over that stack? Men, I need a bunch of you. I'm, you well, I need all kinds. I'm not even going to try to count you. But just before you leave, just go over and put your hand on one thing and say, Lord, bless these booklets. Travel, the Holy Spirit, travel with these things and reach people for Christ with them. Um, I want us to go to Numbers chapter 16. I better get to preaching. Numbers chapter 16. Uh, we're going to be preaching today through uh, this chapter kind of, but I think what I'm going to do to save some time, I'm going to go over to chapter uh, 16 and we're going to, I'll tell you what, let's just take off reading. I'm going to, we'll pray for me because I'm, I'm struggling. I know what I want to do, but just exactly how to go about it, I'm not quite sure. Now, Korah, remember the, the, children, the children of Israel, they're up out of Egypt. They're wandering through the wilderness now. And it's a, it's a, all their happenings are written for our example. There's a lot of things that goes on there that God writes to us that we can learn from in our personal life, our married life, our family life, our church life, our business life, our national life. God writes these things to help us out. He said they're written for ad- admonition that we might have hope and that we can learn from these things. And God wants us to do that. One of the greatest, I think, principles for a church is in this chapter here. Now, Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, Dathan and Abiram. There's three men here, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. The sons of Eliab and On, the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men. How many is reading in your Bible? Say amen with me. If you don't have your Bible, look up on here and get this message. They rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses. That's not a good idea, folks. And against Aaron, and that's not a good idea. And said unto them, You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy. Every one of them and the Lord. And by the way, when it's talking about holy there, they're talking about being separated and unto a work of the Lord. It's not talking about a life, a sinless life. That's not what this is talking about. That thing of being holy is being called of God and separated unto God to do a certain service for the Lord. For the Lord. And he said, they said, you, you take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Watch verse number four. And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. Three times in this chapter, you're going to see this man, Moses, fall upon his face and pray. Let me just tell you something. This guy is not taking too much upon himself. He is doing what God called him to do. And he doesn't think he's better than they are. And, you know, and most guys would have started fussing with him. And he fell on his face and went to prayer. Boy, you're talking about learning some leadership lessons here from Moses. Before you fuss with the people that's fussing at you, go, go to God with it in prayer. Uh, but, oh, oh, you know, uh, it, just so much to learn here. And then he spake. So he prayed first, then he spake in the Korah and in all the company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him, and even him who hath, he, he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. This do, take ye censers, Korah and all his company. Now, get the understanding that they're wanting to intrude into the priesthood. They're, 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 thus, this particular group of people were used to transport the tabernacle, the furniture, and they had a calling of God. They had a work to do in the work of the Lord. But they're not happy with it, not satisfied with it. They're wanting to intrude into Aaron's and Moses' calling and in the work God had called them to do, and particularly into the priesthood. And that's why Moses is saying, get you censors. Censors was used of the priest, all right, in the intercession and in the prayer situation. So he says, uh, take you censors, core and all his company, verse 7, and put fire therein and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be <clears throat> that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. Ye take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. Now there's something you need to know about Moses. Moses is said to be by God the, most meek, the meekest man upon the earth. Jesus, the only other person in the Bible that's ever said of that I know is Jesus Christ who said, I am meek and lowly in heart. Meekness is yielding its strong, its strength being yielded to the will of God and yielding your right when you could have exercised authority or power, but you didn't do it. You were meek. It is <clears throat> the ability to refuse to get angry. Moses, Moses, the only problem you can really ever see with Moses, he got hot and angry and blew up at times. And I'm going to tell you, being a leadership, that's pretty hard not to do sometimes. Okay. But that was it. In fact, anger kept him out of the land of Canaan. You see, God didn't say, well, whatever Moses does is okay. God judged Moses about his sins just as well as anybody else. Now, he said, 
So, but he begins to read, and Moses, verse number eight, said unto Korah, here I pray you, the sons of Levi, seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do service to the tabernacle of the Lord and stand before the congregation ministering to them. He said, you know what? You think that's no big deal? You think the work that God's given you to do isn't anything? It doesn't amount to anything? He said, you know, it's important. Hey, can I say something to you? Whatever you're doing for God is important. If you're raising a family, if you're being a mother and you're raising your children and serving God through raising your family, that is important work. Don't let the devil ever tell you it's not. Anyway, verse number 10, And he hath brought thee near to him, and all the brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee. Seek ye the priesthood also? He said, it's not enough. You want the priesthood also. Verse number 11, for which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord. Now, Moses does something very important here. He shifts their problem that they've got of rebellion. He shifts it to where it really needs to be. Can I tell you that your problem and my problems are not with people. They're with the Lord usually. We don't like what God's brought into our life or we're, we're not happy with the way God's orchestrated things in our life. The Bible said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We, we wrestle against principalities and powers of the dark. But if we're not careful, we think our problem's with people when it's with the Lord. But anyway, he said there, and what is Aaron that you murmur against him? And Moses called, sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eli, which said, we will not come up. He asked them to come up and talk to him. And they said, we're not coming. Now, this was full-blown rebellion against the man of God. You okay? And he said, is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of the land? Here they start their griping and their groaning. It is a small thing that thou hast brought us up a land that floweth milk and honey and killeth us and going to kill us in the wilderness, except thou makest thyself altogether a prince over us. Basically, they want Pharaoh back. They didn't like Moses. <clears throat> Moreover, thou hast not brought us up into a land that floweth milk and honey or given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Without put out the eyes of those men, will they, we will not come up. Now, I mean, they're, I mean, they're like, it's like a father telling his son, son, come over here. And he said, I ain't coming. It's just basic. I mean, you're talking about full blown in your face, murmuring, griping, complaining, rebelling against God. And God's going to show us some things about these people here. <clears throat> he said there, um, verse number uh, 15, and Moses was very wroth. Now, there's, there's a time in life to get hot. You know, but boy, you better, you better control that anger and better keep it within the realms of the Holy Spirit. Moses, very wroth, and said unto the Lord, Respect not thou their offering. I have not taken, now I like this. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. You go to the book of, in the New Testament, Paul talked to him. He said, listen, I, ain't, I, I didn't rob you. I didn't preach to get you to give me money. I ain't took nothing from you. He said, I worked with my hands to be an example to you. Moses said, I haven't done anything to you. I haven't abused you and misused you. Verse 16, and Moses said unto Korah, be thou and all thy company before the Lord, thou and they and Aaron tomorrow. Take every man his censer, put incense in them and bring you before the Lord. Every man his censer, 250 censers, thou also. This is no big deal. 250 men of Israel, princes, thou also and Aaron, each of you a censer. And they took every man his censer and put fire in them, laid incense thereon, stood in the door of the tabernacle, the congregation of Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation together against him in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron saying, now watch this carefully. Here we come. <clears throat> We're going to get to where I want to preach on. <clears throat> Separate yourselves from among this congregation. Moses told, God told Moses Aaron, he said, I want you to get away from these guys that's causing this trouble. I want you to get away from these people. And I mean right now. And, and he said, uh, he said, get you up from them. Verse number 25, Moses rose up went unto Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake in the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest ye be consumed in all their sins. Here's what Moses and Aaron did. They went down to the tents of these 250 men, of Korah and Abiram and Nathan, and they told all the people, Get out of their tents, get out of, their, get out of this settlement. You better be a moving out because God's fixing to do something. All right? He does what God told him to do. He said, get the, Tell the people, better get out of there. All right, here he comes. Verse number... Uh, uh, he said, he come out there and he's, verse number 27, they get up from their tabernacle, Cor, Dathan, and Abiram on every side. Dathan and Abiram came out and stood in the door of their tents and their wives and their sons and their little children. Now, I wish you could see this scene. You got a bunch of people in rebellion against God. And, and the essence of this main thing is they're basically religious, but non-believers is what the core of the thing is going to be. And they're standing in the doorway of their tents with their wives and their little bitty kids and their children. And they're defying Moses and defying, basically defying God's what they're doing. All right. I mean, they got an attitude. Okay. <clears throat> and uh, verse 28, Moses said, hereby shall ye know the Lord has sent me to do all these works. 
I have not done them of my own mind. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited at the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing in the earth, open her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. Now, that's something you don't want to do. You don't want to provoke God. And these men have done that, verse number 31, and it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder. We would call that an earthquake, and the earth just literally clave. That means it split in two, and the earth opened up <clears throat> that was underneath them. Verse 32, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up. And their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and their goods, they and all that appertained to them. You know who that's talking about? Their wives and their children and their families, all that appertained unto them, went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. And that all of Israel <clears throat> that were round about them fled at the cry of them. For they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. I'm telling you, they made God mad. I'm going to tell you something. You can make God mad. Now listen to me today. I want to, I want to preach a message entitled, The Cries of Those Who Fall Through the Cracks at the Church. Now I could preach on you know, rebelling against God's man and all that. that. ain't what I'm preaching on today. What's one of the most horrible passages of Scripture there is in the Bible? I mean, this is an awful scene. If you could make a movie out of this and really do it justice, I'll tell you what, it'd make you tremble what's happened here. And but the Bible's very clear about something that when those people were going down in that pit that opened up, they were crying out. And the people that weren't there ran when they heard those people screaming. It's actually a pit. They went down to hell. I'll tell you where they went to. The Bible's called a pit. Earth opened up. Hell's in the heart of the earth. That's where they went, folks. God cracked the earth open. They went down into hell alive. This is, not, this is not a fairy tale. This is God's word. It's more true than anything you've heard on news in 25 years. <clears throat> this book is right. It's true. The Bible said they were, but here's what I want you to notice. It said they perished from among the congregation. Brother Lonnie, one thing that troubles me more than anything I was preaching is how many people that I've preached to for 20 years will die and go to hell in spite of all they've heard, in spite of all the singing, in spite of all the preaching, in spite of all the praying, they're still going to die and go to hell. And I've watched over the years how people have come to a point in life where they have, get an attitude toward God, toward church, toward the Bible, toward the things of God, and, toward, and basically it's all toward God. They get an attitude toward the preacher, get an attitude toward the parents, get an attitude toward Christianity. And I'm watching this everywhere around me right now. And I'll tell you, it's a sick, sick situation. Amen. And I'm wondering how many from among the congregation that I've pastored are going to wind up going to hell after all that's been done and said. Amen. There was trouble in the congregation. Some of it got it in for Moses, the man of God, Aaron, the high priest. They went down into the pit. Now, I want to remind you something. You listen to me good here. These were not dope sniffers. These were not marijuana users. These were not addicts. These were not drunks. These were not prostitutes. These were not adulterers and fornicators. These were in the congregation of Israel. They were in the congregation, but they were not saved. It was church people. It said they were from among the congregation, but it never said that they were saved, redeemed people, believers in the Messiah. We hate to admit it, but we're not going to reach everybody we preach. I hate to admit it, but everybody listening to me preach is not going to get saved. Some are going to sit in the congregation, grow up in this church, in the same family, and reject the gospel of Jesus Christ and die and go to hell, and the earth's going to swallow them up. No matter the church that they attended, no matter the home that you may be growing up in, no matter the family, the marriage, the programs, the preachers, your grandpa, your grandma's prayers, your daddy and your mama, the fasting, the praying, and the pleading, the begging, and the warning, and the working of the Holy Ghost, you're going to die and go to hell in spite of it because your attitude is wrong. Amen. 80% right now, it's estimated, I don't know how they come up with these figures, but it's 80 to 82% from Bible-believing churches of young people that are not saved by the age of 28 years old and almost despise the church they were raised in and the home and faith that they were raised in, they're rejecting it. Something's wrong. There'll be some in this church who are going to fall through the cracks. And I wonder, when I was talking about fall through the cracks, the cracks of, of, of life and spend all eternity in hell, fire, and brimstone. Now, this country is full of apostasy, 
full of lying and foul spirits and devils. Let me tell you about the transgender and the sodomite thing. It's all demon possession. Let me just tell you something right now. You don't think you're a boy if you're a girl unless some devil told you so. I'm telling you right now. I'm talking about demonic powers that are flooding this country. I fear that in this congregation, there'll be those who fall through the cracks. You're going to go to hell in spite of your mom and dad's dedication, in spite of your mom. Oh, all you can think about is not what your, your prayers or your mom and dad and the faithfulness that they did, but how your daddy got mad or how your mama got mad or how they had fights and arguments and on and on it goes and the devil's painting everything out. You're going to bust hell wide open in spite of the love of God and the truth of God that you heard. Some will say, well, if we'd have had a good preacher, it wouldn't happen. Does anybody want to say that Moses wasn't a good pastor? God said he's the meekest man on the face of the earth. He's one of the patriarchs. He's one of the one of two witnesses. He's one of the two men that God had come down on Mount Transfiguration. You think they didn't have you? Oh, they'd have been better people if they had a pastor. Well, some of you have been a lot better people if you'd had a better pastor. But let me just tell you something. You're going to have to get the point in life where you don't blame preachers and mom and daddies and grandmas and grandpas and nobody else. You've got to take personal responsibility that you're a sinner. You're guilty before God and you need to be saved and you need to repent of your sin and quit saying your little prayers and quit going through your little possum program and get real with God. Amen. Amen. You're going to fall through the cracks in spite of everything. Still has some that fall to Moses, one of the greatest men of God in all, the, all of history, and still some fell through the cracks to hell from among, among the congregation. You may say, you may, and some are, and some already have, but it won't be because you won't warn. Because I want to tell you one thing. I'm, when I stand before Almighty and God in judgment, and it'll just be a short while, I don't want your blood on my hands, and I'm not joking. I don't want you standing before God at judgment, just before he says, cast him into eternal lake, the lake of fire. And you look at me and say, why didn't you preach, Reggie? Why didn't you warn me? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you warn me about my fakery, my hypocrisy? I, I, I'm doing it. And I don't want you to look at me. I don't want to look and say, oh, God, I wished I wouldn't have been afraid of men. I wished I'd have told him the truth. I wished I'd have been honest. I wished I'd have preached what you told me to preach. It'd probably shock us how many in this congregation today are not saved. I'm going to give you some reasons why people in churches like this fall through the cracks. Number one, prosperity is their priority. Prosperity is is their priority. They're more concerned about money, making money, and being independent financially than they are about serving Jesus Christ and about their eternal soul. I'm telling you, you listen to me, I've watched it over and over again. Money's like a snake. It'll just coil its way gradually around your soul. You don't think it is. You think it's it's providing everything you want. And all of a sudden, someday, though, it'll put its its reach around your neck. It'll be squeezing the liberal life out of you. There was a man in the Bible said in Luke chapter 12 who had, oh, man, he had been blessed and blessed and blessed. I can see him sitting in the kitchen table with his wife and talking about all the barns and man everything's full and we've been so blessed and everything's great and I've accumulated much goods and he said I'm, I'm, I've got everything I need for now for as long as I would live and he goes upstairs and he starts drawing for more barns I'll build me bigger barns and I'm boy we're going to go this and we're going to do that man we're going to we're going to make everybody think we're something and the Bible said that God said in him this night this night thy soul shall be required of thee who shall these things be then now, I tell you, he heard footsteps coming down the hall, and he thought probably it's his wife. But I tell you, it's the old death angel with a sickle and a skeleton. And I'll tell you, looking at him and saying, it's time. It's appointed, and the men wants to die, and your time is tonight. And I'm going to tell you, all his dreams and all his talk about his houses and his land and his barns and his this and his savings this and his money this and all that kind of garbage, it didn't mean nothing tonight. You brought nothing into this world, and it's, it's sure that you can't take nothing with you. Amen? I'm going to tell you, I know that we've got to pay our bills, and I know we need a little money to get along. But I'm going to tell you right now, having, having food and raiment let, let us be there with content contentment with godliness is great gain the bible said the bible said them that will be rich those that want to be rich not those that got rich necessarily but those that will be rich pierce themselves through with many sorrows and drown themselves in perdition now, jesus said how hardly is it for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven this country's drowning. People are falling through the cracks because, oh, you grew up in this church, but your main focus is not Jesus Christ. It's about you having money in the bank. It's about the big buck and the big truck. So you're going to fall through the cracks because your materialism is your whole deal. <clears throat> Let me just tell you about God. You don't ever hear me get up in this pulpit and beg for money about nothing. If we need money in this church, I pray it in. That's just the honest truth. And other people pray it. Not just me, but other people pray it in. 
I'll tell you, I've had people tell me, make little smart statements at me about when they're threatening to leave about, well, you'll see the difference in the offer plate and all that kind of garbage. I'll tell you what, you're going to bust hell wide. If that's your attitude about your giving, you think you're something about giving. Let me just tell you something right now. There's nobody in this church, nor has there ever been anybody in this church who has influence over me by the amount of money that you may think you put in the offer plate back here. You're not impressing God. Let me tell you what God would rather have. He'd rather have you praying and serving him and giving to God's work and, and, and in the sense of giving yourself. We first gave ourselves. Amen. I tell you what happens if people seeking money, they think their money can abide. Lord, you take my money while I go live my life. Amen. My money will buy God off. You're stupid in a box of rocks. Amen. Too busy. <clears throat> you're, never, you're never late to work, but you barely make it to church. Your, your kids know exactly where your priority is at. Amen. Your kids can tell you ain't got them fooled. They know whether God means more to you or your money means more to you. Yeah. Now, I know this is amen, hallelujah, preaching, but some of you so dumb, you're going to work on Sunday, bank it all up, and then you're going to drop dead, and your wife's going to spend it all on her next husband. You're so stupid. <laughs> you want, your old body's laying out there, and, and her, her and him's down at the casino, spending your money you saved up working on Sunday. <clears throat> your kid's going to take you down to Vegas and the racetrack and blow it. Yeah. The only reason you serve God is to get his blessings financially and physically. <clears throat> you think God's a slot machine. Your children know what excites you and what thrills you. And they see where your heart and your devotion is. I think it oftentimes about the man who, anybody stupid, old as I remember Slinkies? Anybody remember Slinkies? Well, Slinky's made a man rich. But that man got saved. And that Slinky mold was holding him back from God. And that's seeking money, and he realized it, come to grips with it. One day took a boat, went out in the ocean, and took that Slinky mold and throwed it in the ocean. There's some things you might want to throw in the ocean. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? They that will be rich fall into many hurtful, painful things. How hardly. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter in the kingdom of heaven. And yet preachers all across America preaching that, oh, you get out there and make money and God's going to bless you. If you ain't making money, you must not be living right. You know what? That's, those are false prophets, buddy. Amen. Those are false prophets, and they're wanting to skim your pocketbook. That's what they're doing. Yep. The second th- reason people fall through the cracks, and I'm just being honest with you. I've seen people, when they're poor, they're serving God. There's a prayer meeting. <laughs> God started blessing them. Next thing you know, you know the FBI can't find them. Second thing, that people fall through the cracks is bad attitude, God ordained authority. In this chapter right here, those men got a bad attitude toward God ordained authority. I want to tell you kids something right now. You say, well, you don't know my dad. Well, I want to tell you something right now. You should have grown up in my house. You'd think your daddy was nice. Your dad's not perfect. Your mama's not perfect. And never will be perfect. Why don't you get over it? I don't feel a bit sorry for some of you kids. You sulk around here like a dog got choked on its own vomit. Walk into church, you don't have a smile on your face. You act like they had to drag you with a rope here. You sorry, low-down, worthless thing. You got a mom and dad that loves you enough to take you to church, feed you. You got shoes on your feet. You got clothes to wear more. You, I mean, you got more clothes to wear. And you, you can't wear You don't even know hardly what to pick out when you go to closet. You sit down and eat. I mean, they've took you everywhere. They've took you on trips. They've taken you here. They've taken you there. And all you can do is smirk around and you don't have a smile. You don't have a love for God. You make God sick. I can tell you this right now. And he'll spew you out of his mouth. You watch what I tell you. You're going to wake up one day and fall, find out you fell through the cracks because your attitude was bad. And you got an attitude toward the preacher. I mean, you, you look at me. You think I'm a mean buzz or something. You don't know me. 
You don't, you don't stand in the place I stand. You don't have the burden on me I have. But I'll tell you, someday you'll figure it out. Someday, you know, I didn't when I was younger. I understand that. But don't get an attitude. Let me tell you something. My dad whooped me. I mean, literally whooped me all over our house when I was 13. Now, I know I've told this story 45, 42 times. I know I've told that. But I'm going to tell you something. I thank God that my, but for five years, I wouldn't hardly speak to my dad. I mean, me and him was walled. I mean, we were a distance apart. There was a wall between us. I understood what they went a generation gap. I had a wall. You know what it was? Because I didn't want my dad telling me I couldn't grow long hair. I didn't want my dad telling me where I could go, what I could do, who I could run around with. I didn't like my dad's authority. That was my problem. It wasn't my daddy's problem. It was Reg Kelly's problem. Amen. Amen. I was 18 years old. I was telling somebody this week, and I was riding a pickup truck down the backside of our farm. I was 18 years old. For five years, I didn't hardly, you know, I just kind of, my dad's a state representative. My dad's a juvenile officer. You take that kind of, you know, you get other kids say stuff. You know, my dad, you know, he, he don't let me do this. My dad don't let me do that. So you kind of get this attitude. And I never will forget, I was 18 years old, and I was in that old blue four-wheel drive Chevy pickup. My, old dad, my, dad, my daddy had that old truck he had. And I was on the right-hand side. He was driving across the field. And he was chewing good money in the back. But something happened to me that day. I can almost take you to the spot in the field where it happened. I looked over my dad. He was looking out that direction. It's like a still small voice said to me, that's your dad. He'd die for you. All your buddies you're running around with on Saturday night, they don't give squat about you. You die, bust tail wide open, they'll go right on drinking, they'll go right on messing around, and they ain't going to give nothing about you. But that man cares about you and loves you. He's the only man that's really ever been honest with you about you. The rest of your, the rest of your people won't tell you squat about you. They'll just tell everything out there, oh, you're just fine. But that man loves you nothing. I'm going to tell you something. I changed my attitude that day. Instead of being, having an attitude toward my father, I said, you know what? I'm glad I've got one of the best daddies God ever made. No, he's not perfect. No, he's not sinful. But I got a dad that loves me enough. I never will forget when he stood over me with his belt in his hand, beating a snot out of me. He said, I'm your daddy and I love you and I'm not going to let you live like this. Amen. I mean, pointing his finger right down in my eye on the ground. And he was the juvenile officer. Who do I have to go to? <laughs> Amen. Some of you kids sitting here, you've had thoughts about calling social services, you snakehead. Amen. You say, well, you, my dad's a hypocrite. You don't know him. You just see him at church. Yeah, we're all hypocrites. Help yourself. Ain't nobody in this church lives as nice and appears as nice all the time next week as they do sitting inside this church. Don't you kid yourself. How many would agree with that? Say amen. 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 You get an attitude out of hell against your parents, against the preacher, against the teacher to justify your rebellion. All you can do is point out their failures. It's the oldest trick out of hell Satan ever pulled. Number three, you're going to crawl, fall through the cracks because you're pursuing pleasure. Now, you listen to me. There ain't nobody in the world loves a campfire more than I do. Ain't nobody in the world loves a ride side by side, but I don't think more than I do. Ain't nobody in the world likes to take a walk through the woods more than I do. Now, I don't know how to, if I could catch fish, I'd probably love to fish, but they never did bite my bait. So I ain't got, I'm, I'm too, I'm, I ain't got patience. Amen. I mean, but by the way, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm going to tell you this. We're going to have a fish day. I want all the young people this church, so daddy's bringing it. I'll tell you what we're going to do before it gets cold or even it gets cold. We're going to have a, a daddy son camp out out at my cabin and pond like we did one time. Remember that? I don't know why we didn't do that again. Do you? Gets busy. I don't know, but we're going to have a daddy. I'm going to set it up here real quick. And then I'm going to set up a Saturday y'all come out fishing. Just don't hook, hit hooks in each other's ears and noses, you know, doing that, okay? But I'm going to tell you, I like pleasure. I like, I like to go out to mountains. I like to do things. But we're living in a pleasure-driven, crazy generation that all they think about is another pleasure trip. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beatness thing. And I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm going to tell you, the Bible said that she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she lives. I like hunting as well as anybody probably. I've often thought about that dad <clears throat> whose son was away from God and he came home from deer, to deer season to deer hunt with his dad. I said, Dad, can I come home deer hunt? Yeah. He said, come on, man. We're going to deer hunt. He said, I know where's a big old buck. Down there, but then he put, had a deer stand on each side of this patch where this buck always hang out in come Sunday morning. <clears throat> he told, the dad told us, you listen to me. And I, I'm not trying to be honoring anything here, but 
Dad told his wife and daughter, said, you go on to church, said, we're going to deer hunt this morning. He don't, he's not home hardly, said, so me and he's going to deer hunt. He had this deer, deer stand for him, a deer stand for him on each side of the deal. And he said, listen, he's going to come out one way or the other. He always does. He said, one of us is going to get him. Well, they reconstructed this thing. The law enforcement reconstructed what they think happened. But evidently this buck had come out probably or something. They, or he didn't, and they decided to have a drive-through. And then they drove through this, this <clears throat> buck evidently come out or something because the dad shot. And when he shot, he, killed, he shot his son. He killed him. And this is what they say happened. I don't know how they figure all this stuff out. But what, what happened, they think, is when the dad got there, sort of thing happened that he broke the son's gun over a tree and then took his own gun, put it in his mouth, and shot himself. Killed him. They both laying dead there. Let me just tell you something. <clears throat> There's not a deer in this country right. worth you staying out of church over. Amen. I'm just going to be honest with you. Now, I'm not against deer hunting. I've went hunting on deer on Sunday morning. Suzanne and I went hunting years ago. She's just about 10 years old. We each took the four-wheeler and run out before church, and she killed a doe before church. I'm not against, but I'm just going to tell you one thing. We didn't go chase a buck. We didn't keep going out there. I'll tell you one thing. You've got time to go to church. We're going back to house, and we're going to go to church. I'm just saying this, that if you, if you get to the point of where pleasure comes in, let me guess something. I'm not against sports. When I was a kid, I played basketball, baseball, loved to play, you know, had more fun to barrel the monkeys, all that. I understand that. But I'm going to tell you, not one time in my life do I remember my mom and dad saying, hey, oh, well, there's a ball game tonight, so we're not going to church. Yep. Ever. Yeah. Ever. And I'll tell you, you say, Reggie, one of the reasons that I have the faith that I have and the, and the commitment that I have is because I was taught that God comes first above everything. We, I want to tell you, we milked 80 cows in a stanchion barn all the time I was growing up. And I'm going to tell you right now, I do not ever remember my dad saying, oh, you guys just going to church because I'm going to milk her. We're, Mama, we're going to church. We're going to milk cows. No, no. We got up at 4 o'clock in the morning. We milked 80 cows. Get ready for church. Be on church for Sunday school. We didn't. I'm, I'm telling you. Yeah. And you want God to use your life and you want to count for eternity. Quit living in pleasure. You'll fall through the cracks. You'll get to where you have so much fun. And your kids, here's what the bad part about it. Your kids will think they, they do in excess what you do in moderation. Right. Now, I'm just telling you, you say, I, I, I love you. I don't want you to, I'm not up here beating on nothing, but I'm going to tell you right now, when your kids understand that Wednesday night prayer meeting don't amount to hill of beans, but my Tuesday night ball game, my Thursday night ball game, my Friday night ball game is everything. We'll drive 130 miles to get there and back if we have to. Yeah, right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Get ready. Because yeah. right. you are sending a message. Yeah. Yeah. The next thing, the reason that people fall through the cracks is parents that won't get fully committed and go all the way with God. In Matthew chapter 5, there's a demonic man called the demon of Gadarenes is what we usually call him. And Gadarenes is on the east side of the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River. And this man that had 2,000 devils in him was a Gadarene. What's that mean? He was from the tribe of Gad. Studied the history on them. When the children of Israel were to come into the promised land, they got up the Jordan River and Gad and those other two and a half tribes said, oh, we got some good land here on this side of the river. We don't want to go in, watch this, where God told us to be. And they asked Moses, they said, we, we want to settle over. And Moses said, if you go in and fight, you, you can. But it wasn't God's will because God told him what? Go into Canaan land. Yeah. Go across the Jordan River. You know what Jordan River speaks of? Jordan River is not death in the Bible. It, you can use that if you want to, but it's, it's, it's the sanctified life. Right. It's the life of commitment where you die to your, what's this? It's where you die to you and your dreams and your ambitions and all you want. And you, give it, and you die to yourself and you cross into Canaan and say, God, all I am, all I'll ever have and all I'll ever be, I'm yours. I will do what you said to do. That's when you cross Jordan. And by the way, you cross Jordan, you're going to come into a land of battles. Yeah, there's blessings, there's vineyards, and there's milk and honey, but there's battles. But now here's what happened. Those tribes wouldn't go all the way with God. They just kind of want, they're, they're called borderline Christians. They're just going to walk on the borderline of the will of God. Watch this. Generations later, who does God record had a son who was demon-possessed? 
because they wouldn't go all the way with God. The Gadarenes. I want to tell you something. You listen to me well. We're all responsible, personally responsible for our lives. But the iniquities of the fathers are visited upon the children unto the third and fourth generations. And I'm telling you, I've lived long enough to see it. I have studied my own family history both ways back as far as I can. And as far as I can see, everything that they did or didn't do is being visited upon me and my, and my siblings. It's absolutely true. You do reap what you sow, whether it's good or bad. And it reaped in your family, descendants. Parents that will not go all the way. Not serious, not submitted, not serving, not soul winning. I want to ask you a question today. Do you have any interest in seeing anybody saved? Does that cross your mind during the week? Does it cross your mind the people that you're meeting with and so forth that these people are going to spend eternity somewhere? Then another reason they fall through the cracks is they're polluted with pride. Pride goeth before destructions. God resists the proud. Proud of blessings. Proud of possessions. Proud of position. Proud of talents. Proud of our looks. Proud of our name. Proud of our education. Proud of our accomplishments. Proud of our intellect. <clears throat> proud of... <clears throat> don't, nobody take personal offense because I wear all the time. Pride does not always wear a suit and a tie. Pride can wear program boots and a pair of overhauls. Pride is not particular about who it gets because you can be proud of not being proud. <clears throat> I listened last Sunday morning to an 80-some-year-old former Amish man who had gotten saved and, and come out of the Amish church. Do you know what he, told, he said to that church? He said the Amish literally are, pr- basically, they're proud of their humility. And they think that humility, that, that humbleness is going to take them to heaven. They hope if they're humble enough. But the raw truth of it is they're proud of their humility. I want to say, hey, there's not a soul in this church that pride can't get us. But I'm going to tell you, nobody, I don't believe, can see the pride in themselves until the Holy Spirit of God reveals pride through the Word of God to them. I've been proud about everything you could possibly imagine. Then there's patterns of behavior that will cause people to fall through the cracks. Those people were tongue waggers, defilers, sores of discord, and dividers. Full of bitterness. You run people down that serve God. That's one thing I can't take. I'm going to tell you fair warning before you ever try it. Don't you ever run down somebody in this church that's been working here for 20 years. (laughs) I don't care what you like or don't like about them. I will tell you flat out, no, they're not perfect people no more than I am. But I don't, let me tell you something. I don't like people running down people who've been faithful to God over the years and done their best to try to serve the Lord in whatever capacity they could. But those guys in that story, what were they doing? Attitudes of behavior. And then I'll tell you, I want, I want you young people to listen to me and, and parents. One thing to make you fall through the cracks is the people you're hanging around. There's three guys got to hanging around each other. They weren't good for each other. Korah, Byram, and Dathan. They weren't good for each other. The Bible said a companion of fools shall be destroyed. There are some people you don't need to be hanging around. Amnon, Amnon had a friend. And that friend brought his death. And I won't tell you you'll fall through the cracks because you're hanging around the wrong kind of people. You be careful who you're hanging. If your dad tells you, son, if I was you, I wouldn't be hanging around him. That doesn't mean he doesn't love that boy's family. That doesn't mean he thinks he's better than they are. He just sees that that's going to bring you problems. Or you may say to your daughter, sis, I don't think you ought to be hanging around those girls. They're not good for you. Pay attention to that. Amen. If you're not careful, you'll fall through the cracks by the people that you're hanging around with. And then we'll fall through the cracks when we do not practice what is preached through the Word of God. We're looking at the man and not the message. Don't have any intention of obeying the Word of God. I think if there's anything that just blows preachers out and burns them out is they preach their heart out, message given to them from God, from the Word of God, and people just like, 
The Bible said, be ye, hear, be ye not doers only, but doers, deceiving yourselves. Obey them that have the rule over you, for they watch for your souls. And then playing with perversion will cause you to fall through the cracks. I want to challenge all of us men. Don't even get close to that viper called pornography. Playing with perversion will cause you to fall through the cracks. I'm going to tell you something. I've seen it happen. It'll get you. There's a, there's a forest fire of preachers in America going down for immorality. It's, un, it's unbelievable. And it can get anybody. Don't think you're above it. It can get you. And then when you won't take personal responsibility, you'll fall through the cracks. Blame God, blame dad, blame mom, your brothers and sisters, your attitude toward those in authority over you, as I said earlier. The last thing you ever hear from anybody's mouth is, I have sinned. <laughs> it's always somebody else. I want to close today in saying this. You may fall through the cracks because you just put it off. You don't have an attitude toward God or toward people or nothing like that. You, you don't. But you're not saved, but you just haven't gotten saved. You just keep putting it off. The Bible said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Jesus Christ died for you on that cross, shed his blood, and was the qualified, perfect sacrifice of Almighty God to pay for your sins. God has established that the only way you'll ever be reconciled to God is through faith in that son who died for you and shed his blood and rose from the dead. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus died for you. You believe that intellectually, but you've never personally received Jesus as your savior. It's not that you're mad at God or mad at anybody else. You just haven't taken care of it. Procrastination is probably putting more people in hell than any one issue. They intend to get saved, but they just never have. Wasn't it Agrippa who said, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Did you know you never hear of Agrippa ever again uh, being convicted of sin and thinking about being saved? Putting it off. I want to say something. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. In just a few moments, I'm going to give you a time and an opportunity to be saved, to come before God in your heart and your spirit. I'm not worried about you coming forward. I want you to understand this. You coming forward doesn't save your soul. Right in your seat, you can sit and say, Dear God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and I want to place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm talking about believing in your heart. I'm not talking about some act. I'm talking about, Brother Jerry, were you saved at home? There's a man who got saved at his house. Scout got saved at her house. You can be saved. The thief on the cross got saved right there. You can be saved while I'm preaching right now if you'll call upon the Lord. But the Bible says this, today is the day of salvation. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what another day may bring forth. I told some people the other day, I said, listen, and I don't, I, 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 I'm pleased. I, but, I, you know, I think about Ethan. If Ethan hadn't been saved. Just a few moments before that singing amazing grace inside that cave, not knowing that in a matter of minutes he'd be in eternity. Brother Randy's telling me about what a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old boy in Arkansas? 15 and 20. 15 and 20. Dad sent them out to get round up some wild cows back here just this past July. Now these are rough, these are tough boys, farm boys, cattle boys, on their horses, roping wild cattle. And one of them got away from a boy and it drug him in the pond. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, the, the cow drug the boy on his horse. He had the, the, the cow dallied up. Drug that boy and his horse into the pond. <clears throat> the brother came in to help him. Before that thing is over, both those brothers drowned. He talked to his dad the other night. Their 18-year-old sister went in to try to help him, and she nearly drowned. Got kicked in the head by a horse. Got grabbed hold of the stirrup of the saddle, and the horse pulled her out of the, out of the pond. That man had eight children, lost two boys in one day. You don't know when you'll walk. You don't know if you'll ever walk in this church house again. I do not know that I'll ever walk in this church house again. Let me just tell you how fast and stupid things can happen. I put a machine on one of my loader deals the other day. Yesterday, Glenn put a lo- machine on that automates my uh, uh, ammo working machine. And stupid 68 years old man. Stuck my hand underneath there to put that thing in there and that machine. I'm used to running the handle, but I ain't running the handle now. The machine's running. And that thing come up there and it almost took my finger off. It's a fast like that. I mean, I thought my finger's gone. 
And if they hadn't had a sensor on the machine, it would have. It stopped. It put so much pressure, it stopped the machine. And I thought to myself, just that fast, my, I'm going to lose my finger. And it was over with. You know something? We don't know what we're going to get hit with. I mean, I'm telling you, you think, you, you think everything's safe, everything's good. And you're going to put it off. And you're going to get saved. When you think you're going to get saved, no, you're not. You're going to get saved. And this is my final thing. You will fall through the cracks because you reject the pleading of the Holy Ghost. You reject the pleading. Right now, there are people in this room whom the Spirit of God is saying, he's preaching. God loves you. He wants you to be saved. You need to be saved now. You need to repent of your sin. But you're sitting there resisting the Holy Spirit of God saying, God, I'm not going to do it. God, I'm not going to do it. Let me just tell you a little something. God's Spirit will not always strive with you. God's dealt with you how many times? How many more times do you think God needs to? He doesn't owe you but one. God doesn't owe you anything. But if he gave you one chance to be saved, that'd be enough. Yes. And I always think of LT. 40 years, he said, Reggie, since the Holy Spirit of God dealt with me. I just started pastoring. I was pastoring my neighbor, LT. And I thought he was saved. He was at church. Watch this. He was at church every Sunday morning, Sunday school. He was at church every church service. He was at church every Sunday night. He was at church every Wednesday night. That man never missed a service. I could always follow them home course, sitting beside him in that old pickup truck. Never heard the man talk bad about nobody. Never heard him cuss. Never heard him do nothing that you think the average person does. He had a, had a, a thought he was having a heart attack. They took him. I didn't even know if they took him to Springfield. Found out it was his gallbladder. But while he was there, a preacher walked in. And that preacher was the only preacher in the country that knew he wasn't saved. And he had been preaching revival, come outside off the porch of that old country church, Brother Luce. And he looked at LT, and this has been 40, 40, he said, are you saved? He said, no, I'm not saved. LT said this, so I go over to his house. He's sitting on the porch, he got home in the hospital. I went over and sat down beside him. I said, LT, I'm your pastor, I want to apologize to you. I thought you were saved. I never said anything to you about your salvation. And I'll never forget this. He turned his head straight at me. He said, look at me. I turned and looked at him. He said, did you ever hear me tell you I was saved? Did you ever hear me say I was saved? I said, LT, I didn't. I just assumed you was. He said, don't ever assume anybody's saved. And then he told me this, and I'm closing. Forty years ago, Cora and I, a young married couple, revival Stony Point. She goes down. She gets saved comes back, wants me to go with her. I go with her. He said, I got under conviction. The Holy Spirit of God drawing me. You need to be saved. You need to be saved. He said, I bucked up against it and didn't want it left out of church. He said, Reggie, it's been 40 years and I've sat in church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, hoping the Holy Spirit of God would draw me and convict me like he did at that revival meeting. And it's never happened. He said, when that preacher walked in that hospital room, the only man that ever asked me, are you saved? And I told him, no, I didn't lie to him. He said, the Holy Spirit of God in that hospital bed convicted me of my sin and drew me to the Savior. And he said, Reggie, I ain't got another 40 years. He said, I got saved right there in my hospital bed. Boy, I'm telling you something. You fall through the cracks because you walk out of this church house and reject the pleadings of the Holy Spirit. I'd like the pianist player come and Van get a song ready. I want us to stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Let me just tell you this. Some of you are going to fall through the cracks of a broken home if you're not careful. You're going to throw, fall through the cracks of a godless society. Fall through the cracks of a false religion. Fall through the cracks of immorality. If you're not careful, fall through the cracks of a dead church. I'll tell you, if God gives me breath, I'd rather God take me out of here than for me to ever get dead, preaching dead. I want the Holy Spirit of God working. I want to, if every head be bowed and every eye be closed in respect for other people today and respect before Almighty God, I want you right now to do something for me. I want you to listen to me. You're going to stand before God in judgment. That's what your Bible says, and it's an absolute truth. It's appointed unto men wants to die, and after this, the judgment. Would you just do something right now? Would you right now stand before him in judgment? Stand before God. Say, God, I want to stand before you right now. I'd rather stand before you now than then. I'd rather get honest now about where I'm at. God instead of then. The worst words you've ever heard in your life is, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Do you ever think about that? Why does the Bible say that they had to cast him? Because they're not going to want to go. Cast him into fire. Cast him away from me. And the angel's taken, cast you into the lake of fire. Why? Because you're falling through the cracks. Because you will not respond to the pleading of God, the Holy Spirit, 
to receive God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to ask you this question today, and I want you to, not before me, but before God. If you know today that God has given you peace with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, you've placed your faith in Him and trusted Him and believed on Him that He died for you and rose from the dead. And your whole trust, you're anchoring every, your whole eternity on Jesus Christ. And you, He is your Savior today. And you know that you're saved because you believed on Him. Would you raise your hand and would you thank the Lord? Would you just say, dear Jesus, thank you for saving me. You may put your hands down. Thank you so much. How many is here today and say, pastor, preacher, I could not raise my hand. I am not sure that I'm saved and I want to be. I'd appreciate your praying for me as they get ready to play the song of invitation. Would you slip your hand up and say, pastor, pray for me. I'm lost. I want you to lift it high so I can see it. There's a lot of people here and I don't want to. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. Is there another hand anywhere? Another hand here, just up high so I can see it. Thank you for that one hand there. Is any other hands? Pray for me. I need to be saved. I need to be saved. Let me just tell you something. Your casket may be sitting down there at the funeral home right now. The diesel may be in the backhoe that will dig your grave. The flowers arrangements may be sitting at the floral shop that will be on top of your casket. But you'll be in hell. And someday you're going to face it. You're not going to live forever, friend. The people that love you the most are the people today that are praying for your salvation and the people that are being honest with you. Are you going to fall through the cracks? Is there any other hand raised? Pray for me, preacher. I'm lost and I need to be saved. Hi, put it up high so I can see it. Now I want to ask a question. You claim to be saved and maybe you are saved. But you've gotten like Korah and Abiram and Dath. You've got a bad attitude toward God, God's people, and God's work. And you need to change things. You need to get right with God. You're not living right. You know it. I want to invite you to come first as the pianist begins to play. Those who are saved ought to be the first. Say, I want to get right with God. Would you come? You raised your hand today and you're not saved. Would you come? You raise your hand. Father in heaven, we pray now for this one hand that was raised. Lord, there's one little hand stuck up through the crowd. God, they had the courage. They had the honesty to raise their hand that they're not saved. I pray now, God, that you'd give them grace to come to Jesus, to, to the cross. And God, to trust him as their savior today, to believe on him, to call upon him for the salvation of their soul. I pray, God, today for the families of this church, for the mothers and the fathers, that they'll not fall through the cracks. Lord, seeking prosperity and seeking pleasure and seeking the pathway of this world. God, I pray today that you'll give them commitment, help them to go all the way with the Lord Jesus Christ. God, not to get fooled and and to live on the borderline and to see their children lost without God. Lord, I pray do a deep work in our congregation today. Lord, the best I know, I preach what you put on my heart to preach, and I pray now honor it and glorify your son. Reward the sufferings of your son today by the rescuing of souls. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you come all over this building today? Things are not right between you and your heavenly Father, and you need to come. Would you come? Come on. Come on today. Don't listen. The Holy Spirit will not always plead with you. There'll be a day when you'll wonder why you're not under conviction. There'll be a day we wonder why. Can I ask you a question? Why would you turn Jesus Christ away? Why would you reject Him? Why would you say no to God? That doesn't make sense to a to, to clear mind. Knowing that He paid the price for your sins, knowing that by His grace you can be saved, knowing that freely you can be forgiven, Knowing that he loves you, knowing that he gave his son to die for you and you reject that, what else can God do with you? He that believeth on the son hath everlasting life. But he that believeth not the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Let me just tell you something. God's wrath already abides on you. You're already condemned. But God is extending mercy. God is long-suffering. God has given you time. God has given you opportunity to be saved today. Come on. You need to do some business with God. Maybe a father and a mother today. 
and you're living on the borderline and you're seeking worldliness and you're seeking pleasure and prosperity instead of putting God first in your life. Maybe you need to say, maybe there's somebody today that's been called to preach. And I know it's a tough one. I fought it 10 years. I understand it. Would you come? Would you say, God, I give myself entirely to you? You know what it's going to mean? Let me tell you before you come. It's going to mean you're going to lose your friends. You're going to lose, you're going to lose church friends. You're going to lose family. That's what it's going to mean. You're going to probably lose about everything you thought was precious to you. And you know that, and I understand the fight. But I want to tell you this much. It'll be worth it all. It is worth it all now. It'll be worth it all in eternity. Maybe you need to surrender to God. Fully surrender. Lord, I give my life to you. Maybe you're not sure what God wants you to do, but you just need to say, God, I present my body a living sacrifice. I don't know, but Lord, whatever you want, I'll do it. Let me ask you a question. If you knew the will of God, would you do it? Somebody says, I want to know the will of God. Well, if you knew it, would you do it? Maybe that's the real question that needs to be answered. Would you come right now? Come on. Come on. Let God deal with you today. I'm telling you, there won't always be a day. I'm honest as I can be before you. The night I got saved and gave my life to God and finally obeyed Him, I honestly believe if I'd walked out of that church, I'd have never felt conviction again. It's like God said, done, over with. You walk out of here tonight, it's done, it's over. You go, you go live the rest of your life, Reggie, but this is it. I, the fear of God fell on me. And I'll tell you why it fell on me. People have been praying. They have prayed the power of God down. Would you come? I don't know why I'm holding this on, but I just feel, I know there's a battle. I, I know. I'm asking Christians, would you please pray right now? There are people in this building. You've been, you've been to church all your life, but yet you're going to fall through the cracks. You've been raised in a godly home, but you're going to fall through the cracks because of an attitude toward God Almighty. Oh, you think it's mom and dad or the preacher or somebody. No, it's not. It's an attitude toward God. Would you come? God bless you there. Somebody else, you need to come today. Listen, dinner can wait. But God won't always be, the opportunity won't always be here. Would you come? I'm begging. I'm pleading. I, I'm, I, I'll be honest with you, I got two other men. I wanted to preach on hope today. I wanted to preach on something that just lifts you up and boy, make you fly out of here on angels' wings. But I couldn't do it. Who is this message for today? Who is God reaching out in your heart right now? Have you genuinely been born again the Spirit of God or is it just religion to you? Would you come? This invitation is going to close. What are you going to do with it? You're going to be like Agrippa, almost persuaded? Almost! Can I tell you something in hell this morning? He's saying, almost! Almost, Paul, you've persuaded me to be saved. Almost! But almost will take you to hell. You've got to decide for Christ. You've got to decide for Jesus Christ. Would you come? Let me just tell you this. The Holy Spirit, that sweet dove from heaven, there'll come a point in this service, he'll lift. He'll say, Reggie, it's over. Shut it down. Are we there? Would you come? Ten more seconds. I open this invitation. Would you come? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you today for just the privilege of worshiping you. Lord, you said it's through the foolishness of preaching that men are saved. I thank you, Lord, for the accounts that you've recorded in the Word of God. Lord, I almost fell through the cracks with 13 years of Sunday school attendance. I almost fell into hell, but you had mercy. I pray, God, today that everybody in this, bu- this building and those under the sound of my voice and the broadcast or in those who may hear it in the future, oh, Holy Spirit, travel with this message. And I pray, God, that everyone under the sound of it would eventually, Lord, do what you've asked them to do. Lord, in saving them and in sanctifying them and separating them unto yourself, God, you have told us so clearly that the world hates you 
and it does. And Lord, you said if the world hates you, that they'd hate us, and they do. And Lord, we realize that, and we don't really want to be hated by the world. But Lord, we don't want to be rejected by you. Lord, that's our quandary. God, help us to know that this world has nothing to offer us but eternal damnation and deception. I pray, God, today that you'll help folks to do whatever you've dealt with their heart. And God, I pray that you would honor your son's name. I pray for those who came today, God. And I pray, Lord, that they'll know that you don't turn people away. God, that you do hear. And Lord, you're near to those that are broken in a contrite spirit. And I'm asking, God, that you will show yourself strong through this ministry. I ask you, God, to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And by that, Lord, I ask you to call men to preach, send men to preach, fill the churches of southern Missouri with men from this church who will preach the word of God and love you and love their wives and their children and love their people. And Lord, I pray that you will honor your word. And I'm asking you, Lord, today to do that. Fill the pulpits of Southern Missouri with men from this church who have decided that they're going to live for eternity and not for time. And I will thank you, Lord, for what you do. We love you, Lord. It's been a good day. I want to thank you for these folks who've listened so intently and so respectfully today. And I pray, God, that you'd help us to go home with grateful hearts and happy hearts. In Jesus' name. I am so glad.